0: Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The Professional Parts People. Oh,
1: oh, oh, O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
0: You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.
2: Most of you have been following the case with the same vigor as you did the O.J. Simpson trial, so congrats
3: to all the Subway fans out there. Take a hot shower, long, hot, steamy shower, right? Get out, don't try off, and put all your clothes back on and have your wife just scream at you.
1: It's like everybody's grandfather like went surf fishing twice, hit a couple trout openers, did some bass fishing. It's always like power bait, pyramid sinkers, and the guts of some old spin reel.
4: It was one of those karma moments where you were telling all the tree huggers to leave you alone, and I'm bleeding it. I'm telling you, it was very painful.
2: Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast from Iowa that still believes if it can just get to Florida in mid-January, it will find guaranteed warmth, happiness, and pure fishing nirvana. I'm Joe Sermelli, and here to refute that belief possibly along with many other beliefs about the state of Florida is my guest co-host Port St. Lucie's own Captain Zach Hammer Miller.
3: Yeah, I mean, sure. If you guys want to come down here and wait in endless lines of snowbirds trying to get lottery tickets <laughs> while you're trying to be at the boat ramp. And, you know, if you like tugging on little stuff all winter, that should be fine for all you Midwesterners out there. There you go.
2: There you go. I, mean, I got to tell you, man, when Miles flew the coop, um, you got quite a few nods. From the Bent Legions as a replacement host. And I, I kind of knew you would. I figured you would, right? Um, Represent. but Yeah. But as much as I love you, I do recognize that non-hammer people can also find you like too abrasive. So like, do you consider yourself abrasive at yes. all? Yes.
3: Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually. But at first, I really want to thank you for the opportunity to come here and co-host the show with you. This is like one of my bucket list things. And even though Miles flew the coop... You know, I appreciate you inviting me here, but like nobody wants to be the guy trying to replace the guy. That's like trying to be the coach of the Patriots after Bill Belichick <laughs> leaves. Like, And I mean, that guy, not, not only that, like he went to a Pantera show and survived in their prime. And you're trying to bring me in and I got to follow this like, yeah. <laughs> thanks, th- thank, thanks, buddy. I really appreciate he, it.
2: He, he's talking about miles at Pantera, by the way, not Bill Belichick, just so we <laughs> we're clear on that. Um, <laughs> so for those of you that don't know Zach, right, he has been on this show several times. We go way back. Uh, we met many years ago while you were still heavily involved in the land-based shark fishing scene in Florida. Uh, that's that's what I came down there to do, caught a big old hammerhead. And back then you were like the feet glued to the sand and pier guy. And like most surf fishermen I know, myself included, right? They're all about that life until they buy a boat, which you did and became a captain. And so remind me like what what are you running these days? Like a 1976 McKee Craft bow rider or something I, like that? I wish
3: I had that kind of coin. Those <laughs> things are actually uh pretty expensive there on the uh, aftermarket as collectors items. I saw one guy that was wanted like 20 grand for like a 16 foot 1970 boston whaler and i'm like what are you doing with this like my trailer is worth more than this thing but people yeah. pay for it somewhere uh, but
2: i i we just did a whole DOS boat series about it on a 1976 mako did you um, really yeah didn't did you miss all of that the entire touch on North that th- thanks yeah. bud thanks
3: bud <laughs> I, I wish I could. We appreciate you. I love you, man. But I mean, I know, I'm, I I'm, run, I'm running a uh, 22 uh, Pro Line Bay Boat right now. It's a piece of shit. It's literally <laughs> and figuratively a money pit. Literally, I just take money, $100 bills, and just throw it out in the hole when I walk into my driveway every morning. And yeah. like, what's sad about it is it's so identical to a Pathfinder. They actually got sued by Pathfinder and they had to stop making them after two years. So I call it the poor finder. But. You know, gotcha. it like, yeah, I mean, where, where the quality is lacking, it's easy to see.
2: Yeah, okay, that's fair. So listen, so one of the things I enjoy about you, and you just sort of started to demonstrate it, um, is that I know I know you refuse to leave the state of Florida because of the fishing. The fishing Correct. keeps you there. But otherwise, you seem to hate everything about the state of Florida, right? Yeah, and I guess we, I, <laughs> I guess we can kind of call the loose theme of this episode, like, true Florida. Like, you're going to tell us about, like, the real Florida.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, what's left of it, at least, if you could even call anything, that's whatever semblance of what I grew up here in my short time on this, you know, spinning rock. But, it, yeah, I mean, you are right. You are correct in your, uh, you know, what, yeah, what you're saying yeah. there. Like, I would not leave Florida because of the fishing, but everything else here is literally like living on hell on earth. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay. Well, furthermore, right? You've never really struck me as a people person, per se, right? Correct. But yet, 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 now you're a guide for hire. So, how does that play out? Like, I also think it is fair to point out that you're not a full time captain. Like, you you do not rely solely on that to pay the bills.
3: Thank you for pointing that out. Because if it was my sole way of paying bills, I'd be living into what's left of my poor finder under an overpass somewhere (laughs) with my, with with my trim motor ruined on my engine right now. It it puts a lot less stress when you actually have to repair these things when you're paying your bills with it. Right. But you know, it's nice to walk out and like, Hey, that's a nice boat in my driveway. One day I'm going to get that old girl running again and running charters.
2: (laughs) So wait, so when you do have time to actually take a paying customer out, right? This is what I want to know. Sort of talk me – because I have not been out on your boat. I want people to know that. We fished a lot of different ways on other boats and, and on the beach, but I've never been on your boat. So, yeah. like, here's your chance. I want you to do, like, a like a, like a little throw-down fishing charters infomercial. Like, what can the person, like, on the fence with that deposit money just burning a hole in his or her pocket expect out of a throw-down fishing charter?
3: Well, essentially – It really depends on what season we're talking about. But let's just say it's summer just for the hell of it. Because that's when we catch our biggest fish and the best fishing and flat oceans and blah, 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 postcard. Right, right. But (laughs) if you're really out here wondering what it's like, imagine coming down here. Like, you just left Minnesota. You're like, I'm going to catch kingfish and sailfish and goliath grouper with Captain Zach in July in South Florida. You Mm -hmm. come down here, and the only way I could describe it so you are prepared for it besides my absolute misery on the boat because you're probably not listening to what i'm telling you to do to catch the fish
2: such a a great endorsement for your
3: business listen this is all about being real here man stronger than all and if you want to know what it's like and you just want to prepare yourself for coming here in july to fish with me just go in the shower take a hot shower long hot steamy shower right get out don't try off and put all your clothes back on and have your wife just (laughs) scream at you because that's essentially what this is going to be like, but with a lot more fish, hopefully, as long as you listen.
2: Oh man. That's that. And I believe that that is, that is about as pinpoint accurate as you can. Yeah.
3: There's no T top. There's no shade. You are probably going to die, but (laughs) just make sure you leave your card number on file.
2: So, So, all right. So you, you might be running a very uh, hot, steamy sled now, but as we've already established, you did grow up in the surf and, and pier scene, in particular in Florida, which was quite a unique deal, uh, like a lot of pier culture right back in the day. Oh, yeah. And, and I know that's changed a bunch, which we're going to touch on in this week's Smooth Move, which we're actually recording together, right? We're, we're teaming up for our Smooth Move this week. And joining us is your good buddy, Brendan Winters, who's got a cringeworthy story from your old peer days. Why did you do that?
1: Why? Why did you do
3: that, Terry? Oh, my God.
2: So joining us today for Smooth Moves. uh, First, I should say Zach is joining us for Smooth Moves. I am not solo. My guest co-host is here with me. Check in. Check your mic, son. Hey, kiddies. How are you? Still here. You're still here in this episode, uh, and this is cool because we're actually we're we're sitting here with with Brendan Winters, who is a friend, old friend of yours, former roommate. But we originally had the idea. Zach had the idea of having you on originally because you are a service manager at a local marina, and we figured you know, smooth moves is all about industry guys. Any any part of the fishing industry, like if there's if there's stories to tell, we want to hear them. But then he told me that you're actually one of his old pier buddies. Like you guys grew up fishing the pier scene together before it sort of got got messed up and weird, according to Zach. Like what changed? <laughs>
4: you know, lots of things, man. Yeah, closing during nighttime. Um, right. You know, shark fishing off the piers started getting, you know, regulated. People were starting to, uh, you know, call the cops. Uh, it was a big deal. I mean, not even that. All the way down to finding parking was an absolute joke. I mean, it was ridiculous. Everywhere we went. Didn't matter where, yeah,
3: yeah, and it, it it got really bad there because like you know our parents would just drop us off on the pier for two or three days at a time and just say like, <laughs> "Hey, sorry about your luck, figure it out," yeah. and like, <laughs> they're like "Oh that's yeah." That's- they're- <laughs> Yeah, twenty. I, w- I got ten. And it was three for entry. So like you're That's hustling, right. trying to sell fish to like go get a Tony's microwave pizza at the Seven Eleven once every two days, yeah. and it's or like, sabikis, size so three sabikis, yeah, or, uh, sabikis. <laughs> sabikis, man, bro. <laughs> sabiki rigs were like four dollars a pack. If you lost a sabiki, you're done. Like yeah. you better f- be good with a snatch hook on a chum
4: bag. But Pure like foul, other than no that, doubt,
3: yeah, and Pure like foul. we would sit there and. It, it was out of control because like our parents are like, oh, they're fishing on a pier that's 24 hours next to nine bars. How bad could it be? And like all the guys who were like 30 <laughs> years older than us were sleeping under tarps with them and they're blowing pills and stuff under the tarps. And like, um, like, oh, yeah, no, this is just normal. You know, what could go wrong? But and then they started calling the cops because they're like, you can't have 15 year old kids sleeping on a pier for three days like a bunch of homeless people. Come on, man. So you guys basically caught the end of, like, the what would be the
2: Wild West days of the Pierce scene down there.
3: Yeah. No, we were yeah. the last, like, true group going through there right. before, like, social media and all the uh – Regulations and stuff, but like when it started getting out into the public and people started seeing and like videotaping everything in pictures, like it all kind of died shortly after. Yeah. But like the wild west of that was like the wild west. Like there was some, there was worse stuff going on in some of those piers than the bars.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you sort of tipped me off to to the story we're going to hear. I don't know all of it uh, by request. But I said, like, we were going to go the boat maintenance customer service route, maybe. But then, then, then I heard about this, an old school pier story. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the one that Brendan needs to tell. So I'm going to give you the floor, man. I mean, you guys were there. I'm just sort of the bystander in this one. So, so lay it on me. What happened?
4: Well, so basically, we had been fishing on the pier like usual. Probably, I think it was a Saturday that it actually happened. We had been there since Friday night. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the day had been slow. You know, we usually plan our days around catching bonita, you know, kingfish, barracuda, whatever we use for shark bait. Right. And it was just a slow day, you know. And um, I want to say one of our buddies hooked a stingray. And I mean, it took him all over the place, ended up walking it down to the shoreline. You know, a crowd gathered, you know, a bunch of tree huggers. You know, just don't kill it. Don't do this. Terrible, don't do that. Terrible. You know, everyone's telling us, you know, you got it. You should do this. You should do that. And we're like, I don't know. We're not listening to this. Anyway. Yeah. You know, so we, we end up, you know, lowering down, you know, the uh, the three hooks of death, the treble hook. All right. Right. And right. Uh, the gaff, if you will. Stuck them on the first try, you know. Get him up on the pier as no everyone scream, yeah. <laughs> you know, like bloody murder. We were killing an angel, you know, and uh, <laughs> by the time it gets on the dock, you know, it's a it's a bloody mess without even cutting it up. or How, how you know, big is it? Like, how big of a stingray are we talking? Uh, three or four feet in circumference. I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't huge. Yeah. But f- Fifty pounds, maybe 50, okay. 60 pounds of yeah. just rubber. Like, yeah, OK, a couple of good baits, you know. Yeah, like yeah, we bait. had
3: three. Yeah, we had three dollars, and we needed shark bait to survive another night. Like, you get off our back, lady.
4: <laughs> and I want to say, up until that moment, we were moments away about going to um, one of the charters, you know, to ask them if they had caught any bonita on the way back, you know, from, right. from their trips and stuff You're like that. I mean, we desperate, were desperate.
2: For, desperate for bait. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we were.
4: We were not spending another night there without having anything to toss off the pier and wait for a critter to pick up. You know. So our plans were made the moment we saw what it was, you know, we didn't care who said what or anybody just nobody could have told us any differently. We were doing what we were doing and there was nothing about it. Sure. Sure. So we, we get it on the dock and then, you know, there slowly becomes a crowd around us on the pier as well. And, you know, cause they allow observers to go on the pier. And I guess, you know, there was plenty of tree huggers on the pier as well. And, you know, they, kind of huddle around us and you know they're like oh this is terrible you could hear everybody whispering like I can't believe they're gonna do this this is terrible poor Stingray and And,
2: and just to clarify for the people just to clarify totally legal right oh I yeah mean, no like, there was
3: nothing illegal yeah, about it yeah. yeah 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 no no I mean no, guys no bowfish for them for shark bait right you
4: right, well, right no it's okay. just
3: feelings were getting hurt
4: oh uh, get but I get anyway yeah. you know so we get it up there there starts to become a crowd you know um I wanna say uh Jordan ended up cutting the stingray tail off. I want to say that, that did. I did, unfortunately. Another, another was, it, you was, it, was it you? Yeah. We were yes. all huddled together. I mean, we were we were working this thing. We were trying to make this in and out quick and easy, get it to the tee. Right. you know, start cutting it up, getting it ready for, uh, you know, a late night snack. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, we started clearing the way to, to drag it up to the front of the pier. And I was like, you know what? Let me get, let me do, you know, a little cleanup here let me get this stingray barb the stinger yep. off the pier so right, i kicked right. it once and it kind of rolled it, it was it was a it was a muffed field goal i mean it was not good and, <laughs> I, and I was disappointed and i, and I felt like i could have done better i mean i was wearing shoes that so unbelievably ironically had a hole in my right big toe and when i kicked it the second time it was like a hole in one It went right through my big toe and into my foot. It splinted my big toe through my shoe. Now, I'm screaming the second it happens because I knew I screwed up. (laughs) The moment I kicked it, I knew I was like, game over. Guys, my night is done. I am not sticking around for shark fishing. I got to (laughs) go to the hospital. I got to go somewhere. Oh, my God. And (laughs) I'm screaming, and I'm begging Jordan, one of our buddies that was there, to pull it out. I'm like, Jordan, you got to pull it out of my Ooh. foot. Please, please pull it out of my foot because it was stuck in there. And the whole tail up. was hanging off the front of the, the it was, shoe. It was gruesome. Uh. And they they thought I was kidding because I, I I joked around. I kid. I was always looking for the laugh. And and our buddy Chris, Krug, he was dying laughing. Like he was on the floor. Couldn't stop laughing. He thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. Jordan ends up putting his two hands on it and tries to pull it. And he goes, dude, I can't do it. I don't know why I oh. can't do it. So if you're familiar with the way a stingray tail and a barb is, it actually comes down as a Y. The tail is one piece, the barb is the other. Yeah, And it was cut above that area. So what I did was I stuck my right hand in between the stinger and the barb. And as I pulled out, it shredded all of my flesh coming out. And all there was was a circular hole left in my foot. And as soon as I pulled it out, blood went everywhere. And the smiles and laughs from Chris, uh, disappeared. Everyone was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe this just happened. And it was one of those karma moments where you were telling all the tree huggers to leave you alone. And, and you know, after that I'm bleeding it. And, and it, I'm telling you, it was very painful.
2: They didn't have any aloe vera for
4: you or anything? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I'll get to how we solve that issue. Um, you know, some of the people that were, uh, stingray advocates for the day, uh, they were definitely like, uh, Oh, you got what you deserve, blah, 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 blah. And I'm bleeding uh. all over the place. I finally get my shoe off. And um, they carried me down to the front of the pier. And I got to sit behind the countertop there. And I want to say, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't um, Paul working that day? Toothless Paul?
3: I don't remember because I remember when all this, yeah, yeah, Gummy Paul, we called him, actually. That's right, Gummy Paul. (laughs) Yeah, Gummy Paul. And uh, when he had the the, the whole tail sticking out of his shoe, running around out of his K-Swiss, Yes, I was yes. dragging. <laughs> yeah, I was dragging the carcass of the stingray with the gaff through the face yes. up to the front of the pier. Yes. And I turned around and saw all the commotion and screaming. and I saw it just flopping around like a dog tail. I'm like, what's going on here? And then next thing you know, there's just blood everywhere and screams and people are cheering. And it, it wasn't it
4: wasn't a good moment. It, it, was, <laughs> it was it was it was painful on, on a lot of levels, but mostly physical. Uh, emotionally i was i was preoccupied but uh so i get to the i get to the front they put me behind the counter and they kept putting my foot in bleach and hot water and then if i took my my foot out of there it was killing me but if i put my foot in there it it hurt but it wasn't that bad so then they call my parents they call an ambulance an ambulance comes hauls me away my mom goes for the ride we get to the emergency room they roll me in and they're doing x-rays on my foot. They notice that there is a, a speck of something in my foot still. And they're like, we got to do surgery. And, and he's got to oh. be awake for it, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and they're like shooting the needles in to numb my foot and my big toe. And they're like, you're going to feel some pressure, blah, blah, blah. And I felt anything but pressure. I felt them cutting my foot open. And <sighs> removing the piece, not gently, by the way. And then proceeding to pour iodine all over this open wound and scrubbing it because they had to make sure infection did not happen. And I literally was screaming. They gave me a towel to bite on. I mean, it was, I'm telling you, that was probably one of the worst things I could say that's ever happened. And I mean, I stepped on a gaff and it went through my foot. And that wasn't even nearly as bad as this. I mean, this was next level bad.
2: I will say this, I'm not scared of them when I catch them accidentally, because I feel like you can be careful and not have this happen, but I am, like, waiting in Texas or Florida, like, I am wigged out by it. I, like, I am so scared of that barb dude, and I know how far they can drive it in. I hate to bring him up, but, like, Jeremy Wade did a thing about it once where he did an experiment, and, like, they did it in slow, with a slow-mo camera. Like, dude, they'll drive that whole thing into a piece of beef from, like, tip to the end in a split second. We don't realize how far it'll go. It's not like you're just stepping on a thorn. Like, they actually put motion into it and drive that
4: thing into it. It's got circular barbs all the way around it. So when you pull on it, it's sticking like this. It goes in one way and don't want to come out. So when I pulled it, I ripped all of my flesh. It went into my foot uh, four inches, four inches into my foot. That's brutal. gnarly
2: that's gnarly, dude. My only question is, uh, are you still doing the K Swiss or if you like moved to Steel Toes since No,
4: then? I have I've moved on. I mean, I've bounced around. Uh, you know, Adidas, <laughs> Nike, uh, I've had steel toes. I still have steel toes. I got some cowboy boots. I mean, I'm diverse with my, my footwear. Weren't you signed on with Crocs for a short time? I was. I was a huge advocate, but I will tell you that completely Debunks this whole story because if you look at Crocs closely, they have barb entries all over the place. So, <laughs> yeah, easy access. I, yes, I tend to steer away from them when I'm doing something gnarly like shark fishing.
2: There you go. That's another knock against Crocs. Exactly. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: All right, so that was funny, right? Mm-hmm. But considering I have a thing about hand and foot injuries, that was also really fucking brutal, right? And I don't get squeamish about someone getting, like, stabbed in the stomach. Like, I could, I could see that and be like, oh, man. But hand and foot injuries make me want to hurl, which is a weakness I have, you know?
3: And that is weak of you. I'm glad you admitted I, that because yeah, that was strong, yeah. but you're still weak. I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> But in general, I'm a little upset the only thing that we don't have is a picture of it sticking out of his K-Swiss shoe, because that could have been something he could have passed down to his little kids for generations to, you know, dwell on and not wear Crocs. Uh, dude, I'm sure we could do a book
2: or an entire <laughs> series based around peer stories. Uh but i it's kind of something i wish i had experienced but i, I did also get a kick out of how Incredible. you guys used to beg for used to beg for benita at the charter docks because we talked on the show recently about how benita or what i call false abacore are viewed differently by region like they're revered here you know this but not there in fact you are one of the most albie hating sons of bitches i know
3: okay listen i mean let's put it into context here do i hate albies yes guilty (laughs) do i like them when they are called bonita here in florida yes i do they're a ton of fun i love catching them when you know they're man-sized like 15 20 22 pounds not when you're trying to risk life and limb in a mckee craft in eight foot swells (laughs) Trying to catch two pound fish. Like, let, let's, let's, yeah, I was just doing that. Let's keep it real. I know it. you are. And, I it, was it just recently sad. out
2: with our, with our mutual buddy Captain Eric Kerber here in Jersey, beating up on false albacore with my arsenal of 13 sticks, 13 fishing rods. And I even got to play around with a spinning reel in the testing phase. How about that? And I got to say, they performed beautifully. And a hard tail, even you can't deny, will test the shit out of your drag. Like if you want to punish a reel and a rod, Albies, that's a good way to do it. And my trusty omen green rod did great.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Those things will tear any tackle up. That's why I love them. They're great. I just don't know, you know, the appeal of the whole Northeast culture about the whole thing, you know, go out there and literally try to die to catch some some owls <laughs> like look, i was there an, that's i was there that's well, I'm like, hey, we're going owl fishing it's blowing 25 out of the northeast and i'm like we're going out that inlet right now to do what <laughs> like that's what i'm like, I'm that's like I, I wasn't even halfway through my wawa pretzel and i'm like are you kidding me
4: like
2: yeah yeah no that's fair that's fair we'll go crazy for him so anyway so we we call them albies you call them bonita which is a common name in the south and throughout the gulf Um, but it kind of brings up, like, I'm always sort of intrigued by area nicknames for fish and Floridians, I think have a fair amount. Like I've heard you call sea trout paper mouths and
3: mustard mouths. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. The little uh, speckled devils of the flats. Those are one of my favorites.
2: Yeah. So I thought what we do, um, since I assume that all of you listening in the Midwest and the North are just going to flock to Florida over the winter. I I asked Zach to tackle a weekly word segment by himself, but this one has a little twist and is guaranteed to help all you snowbirds fit right in when you're milling around the dock at Worldwide Sportsman this February. Everyone will just assume you're a local. Except me. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as...
3: This week's word isn't a word. It's actually a series of words that you should memorize so the next time you're in Florida for an overpriced charter set up by the folks at Disney, you'll know what the hell the local anglers are talking about, which will make you feel like a local even though we could smell the New Jersey and Ohio or the pork and grits on you from a mile away. Down here in Florida, since our state is full of largely transients running away from things across the country, our fish species have taken on a wide array of unique names that most anglers probably wouldn't recognize. And we want you to fit in with all the googans and kooks infesting our docks and piers. For instance, you might hear somebody bring up yellow-bellied spider eaters. This is what rich kids wearing bonefish-scale buffs on the Hell's Bay skiffs their dads bought them refer to as Permit. Poor kids fishing the piers like myself used to call them yellow-bellied spider eaters because all they pretty much eat is crabs. And let me tell you, no better way to kill the same amount of time needed to get your bachelor's degree from the community college than sitting on crabs on bottom rigs and fighting off 15-pound spiny pufferfish, praying that one day an actual yellow-belly will swim by and eat your crab. In the end... We have a lot in common as far as wasting our time goes. Just my crew is wearing Walmart clothes and doesn't celebrate our failures by clinking IPAs and posting about it on Instagram. Let's talk Mercury missiles. In some circles, large publishers' clearinghouse-sized novelty paychecks are handed out for catching these during tournaments in the summertime, and if you flip through any saltwater fishing shows on your Saturday morning TV lineup, you are bound to see at least one guy in a half-million-dollar center console cranking one in with the drag set to zero and the clicker on to let all the other guys dressed identically on the boat know that at some point in time, that kingfish might be boatside at some point before the final bell rings. But for us heathens who are less romantic about the kingfish, we call them mercury missiles. Not only are they slimy and bloody, but if you happen to throw a big one on the grill and attempt to choke the oily meat down with your family and friends who thought you cared for them, you will likely be radiating like a glow stick from the dollar store on the account of how much of a lethal dose of mercury you just consumed. Convicts. Doesn't that sound fun? During the wintertime, one of our favorite pastimes is fishing for convicts. I will say that this doesn't sound glorious at a first glance, because it normally isn't. But if you watch any old-time movie featuring some less-than-favorable characters that have ended up in jail, the black and white stripes on their forever clothes are normally a good sign that you know that generally they are less-than-favorable. Convict isn't the name for one species of fish, but multiple prison clad s suited fish that prowl the river waters— including, but not limited to, head, Black Drum, and Black Margate. If you catch all three, you got a jailbreak. Is it glorious? No. But will they bend your rod and beat you up in bridge pilings and shallow reefs all day while giving you and your probably felonious friends a nice commissary fish fry? Absolutely. And last and probably least, don't forget gummies. More than likely, if you come to Florida and do an offshore trip with any sort of bait on bottom, there is a high probability you will encounter this lazy, death-rolling, brown-turd, sorry excuse of a shark. Yeah, it's a shark if you even want to call it that. A nurse shark more specifically. These fish have the attitude and appetite of a catfish, but with nowhere near the clouder personality. If you catch one on a guided trip or a charter, the captain will most likely pretend to make a big deal about it and tell you how awesome it is you caught a 300-pound, largely toothless slug shark, especially if the captain has a 22-foot bay boat, a pro-line bay boat, my bay boat.
2: So riddle me this. Why are more people not talking about the jailbreak? (laughs) That's the first time I've ever heard of that slam. Like, dude, that should be our B-side fishing episode down the road, forget all like the massive tarpon and shit you're catching in the surf and the famed Florida mullet run, dude, let's do a February
3: jailbreak. I will tell you this, the older and more pathetic that I get and more house (laughs) broken by my wiener dog, the more I enjoy fishing (laughs) for convicts and such like that. Like when I know I could take my boat out and 40 degrees and not see anybody at the ramp. And I could just go and spend $3 in fuel and mow those things down all day. It is a blast. It's mindless. It's fun. But I will tell you that Black Margate. Oh, that's a kicker, boy. I mean, to get that Black Margate. That's the hard one. That's that's the hard one. one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good luck on that.
2: Damn, man. See, like I thought for sure you would crap all over that idea of getting together for a jailbreak. I'm kind of shocked. I thought that would be an instant, uh, an instant no from you. But you actually you seem as excited uh, as I am to square off with and destroy my new news co-anchor, Hayden Samick, in Fish News. Fish news.
0: That escalated quickly.
2: So, Hayden, we talked a few shows ago about the uh, the false albacore and the bonita. You asked about their edibility, and uh, did you see my video documentation on the Instagrams? I ate it. I was I am a man of my word, and I ate the false albacore. I tagged you.
1: I, I did see. Your post on the Instagrams, Joe. <laughs> the
2: Instagrams—that's what we call it around here. Uh, yeah, man. But we—you know what? We just did some sashimi, both plain and with a splash of soy sauce. Um, we had a four-person panel of testers, including myself, and it was—it was shockingly good. It nice. was shockingly good. Like would I call it outstanding? No, I wouldn't. You know, it—it do, it doesn't quite stack up to your your yellow fins and your blue fins, but it was good. Um, much closer to skipjack tuna and uh, blackfin tuna. And it was fascinating because the idea of them being inedible, as we discussed, right, it runs deep. Mm-hmm. For the most part, in most parts of this country, like that's like you just don't eat that. Um, I don't know a single person um, firsthand, at least, who eats them. But I think the real lesson was simply uh, how much fish care matters. You know what I mean? Like we we treated this one like a yellowfin bled it immediately, iced it proper, and ate it within two hours of the sucker swimming around. Um, And that made all the difference. Uh, You know, if you just hack it up, you know, like a fresh one straight out of the water, it's an oily, bloody mess. If you toss it in the old bait cooler with no ice, the shelf life (laughs) for it not tasting like total ass is very, very short. Um, And it was interesting, too. A handful of people wrote in singing the praises of Albies on the table, though a few did mention uh, that the trick is indeed eating it raw. Or rare, as soon as you cook it through, then several people were like, then it gets really tough to eat. I don't know if that that really like draws, concentrates whatever oil is left. I don't know. So um uh it, it was it was it so good that I'm gonna kill everyone? No. You know, if I'm craving sashimi and the elephant bite is super slow, yeah, I'd eat that again. So I, I kind of like you. Sort of pushed me towards that inadvertently, and I appreciate it. Like I learned something new.
1: Well, I'm, I'm happy. I had a small part in uh, expanding your palate, <laughs> expanding my, my horizons. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. On the subject of, uh, of questionable tunas. Uh, yeah. Did you hear about the uh, your Subway lawsuit getting thrown out? Oh, mm. I sure did. You bet I did. This, su- <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, the suit claiming
2: Subway's tuna isn't real tuna has pretty much been dropped or at least stalled or something like that. Um, because I know, I, I know, like me, most of you have been following the case with the same vigor as you did the OJ Simpson trial. So, congrats, <laughs> congrats to all the Subway fans out there. Everyone was uh, who was rooting for Subway. I could like hear the sigh of relief breathe across the country. Um, are you? I I don't think I've asked yet. This has been four shows, and I haven't asked. Are you a Subway tuna fan? Like when you get the Munchies, is that what you <laughs> crave? <Hayden?
4: laughs>
2: <laughs> stop. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> i'll stop last time i promised i promise it's for the
1: fans man come on <laughs> um no man absolutely no? absolutely not uh i'm a very adventurous eater there are very few things i won't at least like you know dabble in that said mm-hmm. there are three foods that i flat out refuse to eat and one of those happens to be uh, canned tuna. Really? hmm Yeah. I, I can't stand it, and I haven't eaten it for as long as I can remember. So no not a fan that's interesting i
2: mean respect for that dude and like i don't i don't i'm not like a huge canned tuna fan either but it's i i sort of liken it to like the mcdonald's burger debate like if you want a really good burger you don't go to mcdonald's but sometimes you just want mcdonald's like it's a different sort of thing so like yeah man sometimes i'm just craving a tuna melt and i'll grab a a can of charlie out of the the pantry god it's not that it's not that big a deal um anyway (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad I know that. I didn't say I learned something about you. You don't do canned tuna. So that's uh-uh. good. If you're ever here, I'll know not to feed that to you. Like, don't pack Hayden a tuna sandwich. Don't. Um, but, you know, I was thinking they haven't ever really said what kind of tuna is in Subway Tuna. They've they've said all along, they've maintained that it is, in fact, real tuna. But nobody ever noted a species, at least not that I recall. So, I mean, dude, there's a strong chance that that's false albie, right? They are highly sustainable. You know, and sure. and if if that's what it proved it to, to be, I'm good with that. It is what it is. I will continue to eat it. You will not. We'll both go our separate ways. You know. So
1: yeah. Well, you know, as as long as it's sustainable, I don't I don't really care what you all eat. Uh, right. I'm not about to break <laughs> my no canned tuna streak with Subway. And uh, speaking of streaks, I am looking to break my losing streak <laughs> <laughs> in this week's edition of. Fish news. Phil's
2: not been treating you well, so I'm I'm rooting for you myself. Well, well thanks.
1: <laughs> As always, folks, uh, Joe and I have each selected a story. Phil's going to pick the one that he likes the best, i.e. the one that sets him up for the best joke after the segment's <laughs> over. And uh, the loser will get squid gamed. Yeah, Joe, right. <laughs> you're up first. Best of luck, bud.
2: <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't think I'm going to need luck today because I'm going to tell you what, brother. I got Ooh. a live one. Jeez, I actually hi. haven't been... This pumped on a news story in a while because this one has twists and turns that will lead to some some really good debate. Um, and I'll preface this by saying I'm curious to hear the opinions of you listeners when this is all said and done. Please reach out. I'm very curious. Shout out to Bent fan Anthony Shelton for sending this one my way. And it comes from WJHL.com, which is out of Tennessee. And I'm, I'm probably going to run a hair long on this one, just warning you, but I, I think it's worth it because this is, this is pretty interesting. So way back on the Memorial Day weekend, A.J. Silvers and some friends set a trot line in the Nolichucky River with the intention of catching a whole bunch of catfish for a fish fry, which is a family tradition he has every Memorial Day weekend. Um, on the off chance you're not familiar with a trot line, it's a it's a long line with a whole bunch of baited hooks that you string across the river. You tie it off to a tree at one end and weight down the other. Um, and really, it's a form of commercial fishing, but very legal in many many states, provided you follow all the rules. And a very old school form of getting fish for the table. So when uh, Silvers showed up to check his trot line, what he found was a group of kayakers with his trot line in their hands. Now, this group consisted of a few kayak trainers from the Nolichucky Outdoor Learning Institute and their students. The leader of this group was seasoned kayak trainer Scott Fisher, and it was Fisher who cut the trot line in three places because, he says, one of the kayaks had gotten tangled in the line and a hook ended up stuck in one of the paddler's life jackets. All right? So, according to Fisher, he claims the trot line was not marked properly, uh, which they must be by law. And he says because it wasn't marked, he assumed it was abandoned. Silvers says it was absolutely marked correctly. And this entire exchange was captured by Silvers on his cell phone. He, of course, posted that video to Facebook. And I, of course, watched it. Um, Did you see the video? Did you watch the video with this?
1: Um, I did not watch the video. I have heard about this story, and I read the article, although the article was kind of hard to follow because you'd expect the dude named Fisher being the trot liner and, like, so my brain <laughs> <laughs> kind of okay. Yeah, I know. You're probably not even on
2: Facebook. You're, like, way past the Facebook generation, but that's mm, okay, because yeah. I'm going to break down the video now, okay? So um, not only do Fisher and his fellow yakkers claim the line wasn't marked, they say it also wasn't properly weighted. Had it been, their kayaks would have glided right over it. But instead, the nose of one of the yaks got pulled under, It pulled it up and exposed it, and the other Yackers following it hit it. Now, Silvers argues it was weighted with four bricks, so that's impossible. That couldn't have happened. Um, And he believes these guys were simply keeping an eye out for trot lines to cut them because they just hate trot lining. And he says this certainly isn't the first time this has happened. But if you watch the video, Silvers is far more aggressive Fisher and crew are cool, calm, and collected and make it pretty clear, at least to me, that they actually have no issue with trot lines. They know it's something people deploy on the river and they're very aware of them. In fact, Fisher points out that while he cut the trot line, it's totally salvageable. He returned it to Silver's and insisted this happened not out of any sort of malice, but simply for safety reasons. And Fisher told WJHL, quote, We're all out here enjoying the outdoors. It's all good. The issue is with a line stretched across a navigable waterway with exposed fish hooks that can hook a kid, an adult. It doesn't matter. There's no place for it. And in the video, you hear Fisher telling Silvers to just do the right thing and maybe set up in areas where there's less traffic because I gather that the Nolichucky is pretty popular with kayakers and rafters. And he says, hey, if you're you're properly licensed to use a trot line and someone gets hurt, you're liable for that. And Silvers says, yeah, I know that. He says he does do this responsibly and tells them he isn't changing a thing about his program. Um, now, according to the story, the relationship between paddlers and trot line fishermen is like the Hatfields and the McCoys. And Silvers has had his lines cut a dozen times. And he notes, which is a perfectly fair point, that a lot of time and a fair amount of money go into building and setting up a proper trot line, right? Like this This isn't like it's. it takes some effort.
1: Yeah, it's not like you're just going down to the bank and, like, chucking bait. Like, a trot line is like a it, – it's a whole thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's And it's a very big deal. It's a very cultural thing in, in a lot totally. of uh, lot of this country, right? Now, apparently Fisher and crew uh, and Silvers and crew ended up at the kayak takeout together where the arguing continued until the cops had to be called and statements needed <laughs> to be taken. My guess would be, just just guessing here, that Silvers went out of his way to find them. Because he Uh, knew where they'd be taken out, right? So I kind of read that as like he's the one that kept the fire stoked here. You know what I mean? Um, So, you know, statements are taken, both parties leave, end of story, right? No. Fisher had kind of forgotten about the whole thing until just a couple of weeks ago when he received word that a grand jury would be prosecuting the case. According to Fisher, Assistant DA Todd Hull originally said there wasn't even enough evidence to make a case, but then mysteriously flipped. So the same day that Fisher got this call, he went and turned himself into the law, got fingerprinted, mugshot taken, arrested the works. Wow. Right? So here's a quote from the piece. At the time of the arrest, Fisher said they didn't even know what to charge him. (laughs) with. According to Unicoi County ADA Todd Hall, Fisher was charged with violation of the Hunter Protection Act and taking a fish caught by another. Both are classified as Class C misdemeanors. So now Fisher is due back in court on November 30th. Silvers faces no charges, and now there are a bunch of water safety experts from all over the place writing in and coming to Fisher's defense saying he did the right thing, like this was a safety issue, and furthermore, a trot line in this particular spot poses much worse safety hazards than a hook in a life jacket. Basically, they're saying Silver should be happy there wasn't worse injury or damage, right? So there's obviously a lot going on here. But let's start with the act, okay? Trotlining is not legal where I lived, um, but let's just pretend that it was, right? If I saw a properly tagged trot line, I'd say, cool, someone said a trot line, fish fry. Right on, man. Like, I get it. I understand what that is. I understand the culture behind it. Um, if I'm floating down that river and my kid, myself, or whoever I was with, ended up wrapped in that trot line or injured with a hook in them, I'm cutting the trot line. Right? I'm just just doing what I got to do. Right? Totally. If if I floated over it without incident and thought, oh man, that could hurt the next guy that floats down, I'm not cutting the trot line, which some people will say that's not nice. But much like Fisher, like I respect the practice where legal and when done properly. But um, if it directly brought harm or misery to me and mine, I'd cut it and do what I had to do. And I really don't think Fisher and company would have touched that line had it not legitimately caused an issue for their crew. Like, I believe that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I'm inclined to think that it's like hikers finding tree stands or something. You know, emote, 99% of folks, regardless of, you know, their own beliefs, as far as the activity goes, won't mess with you. Right. Unless it's like, oh, this is a direct threat, like you said, to right. me and mine.
2: Right, 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 right. So now, on to Silver's. Um even though I think he's being like kind of an asshole about this, I certainly understand his frustration too. And and more than anything, I think the deeper issue he's having, it isn't the cutting of this line, right? Mm-hmm. But it's 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 probably a deep sort of sadness over uh, a loss of tradition due to just the overwhelming amount of people that utilize resources now, right? Like I I'd bet That his daddy and grandpa and great-grandpa ran trot lines, you know, perhaps on this same river, and now what? Like, you have to bow down to all these folks that want to raft and kayak and so on and so forth. Um, And it's like, that's super relatable to me. I have smallmouth streams here that I loved growing up, and I won't touch them now during the summer. Because there are 400,000 tubers floating down them, (laughs) kayakers running them, right? Oh, dude, I I live right next
1: to the Madison, man. The bikini hatch. You know this pain. Exactly, right? So would you say the bikini hatch? Yeah, that's what we call it when all the tubers come down and bikinis as soon as the weather warms up a little bit. I like it.
2: I like (laughs) it. I like it. But, and, and I think you could say the same with the Madison. Maybe not. Maybe I'm talking out of school. But around here, 10 years ago, if I went fishing in the summer, Maybe 12 tubers would come down in a day, you know, 15 yeah. people, no big deal. Didn't really hurt my fishing, didn't really spook anything, uh, but not anymore, right? And it, it, it's so bad that it makes it unfishable in the summer, even on a weekday. Sure. But unfortunately, as painful as that is, there is nothing that can be done about that. There's nothing that I can do about that. Those tubers and Fisher and all the other kayakers on the Nolichucky have just as much right to use that water as I do, and and Silver's does. And that can be a really hard pill to swallow, you know. Like yeah. you can lose sleep lamenting how good something used to be or the way it used to be, and how you know it's it's screwed up, you know, as far as you're concerned now. Um, So it's kind of like I I always try to say, you know, you either piss away time crying about it and pound in sand, or you adapt. I still fish those same rivers. I do it in the early spring and the fall, right? I find new places to Mm -hmm. fish. Maybe I fish at night. And to me, as painful as it may be, it can feel like you're, you know, losing a fight or bowing down. That's the road I feel like Silver should take, especially if his trot lines have been cut in this location 12 times. Because I think this will just keep on happening. And what are you going to do? Are you going to keep taking people to court? So, you know, if he wins this one and Fisher pays a fine or whatever, I, it's it's probably not going to send the message that he's hoping it will. The next guy who knows nothing about this will come down the river, and if he's going to cut your trot line, he's going to cut your trot line. You know what I mean? So I, I think getting Fisher in big trouble will not save your future trot line sets. Um, and ultimately it's kind of a lose-lose. But I must say, I think taking this uh, all the way to the grand jury – I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I think it's kind of stupid. I wouldn't be shocked if it got thrown out um, because Fisher has a mountain of people on his side saying this was a safety issue. Uh, he didn't actually take any of Silver's fish that I'm aware of. And I, I actually feel a little bad for the dude because this is just like eating up a lot of his time. Like this is like a big thing now he has to deal with. Um, and I feel like it's slightly vindictive and, and Silver strikes me as the kind of guy that out of spite, we'll just keep running a line in the same spot almost looking for a fight instead of the catfish you know what i'm saying
1: yeah yeah man uh i gosh i got like a lot of thoughts about this but i'm going to try and like make them succinct here uh i feel for silvers too yeah. in a lot of ways yeah you know and, and i think that a lot of hunters and fishermen can relate to exactly how silvers is feeling in that when you are a hunter or a fisherman to be one of any merit, really, right? You've got to take the time to understand the resource that you're kind of playing with. Sure. Right? Sure, yeah. And and because of that, I think there's this perception that we are more dedicated to the environment that we're experiencing than somebody doing something. Like kayaking or hiking, or you are spot on.
2: You are spot on. That, that's we we feel like we have more right to it, or we deserve to be here more than a weekender.
1: You know? Yeah, and it's it's a tricky thing because like there is part of me that genuinely believes that, that is the case. Sure. Then like the the, I, the better part of I've been known to feel me. that way too. But you have to be <laughs> practical about it too. Yeah. You know? Well, the, then the better part of me is like, okay, well, if I love these spots. And these environments, I want everyone to experience them so that they care about them as much as I do and thus sustain this environment that I'm so passionate about. Hey, dude, you just brought up one of the biggest, what I would call
2: modern attitudes. You know, like we hear so much about spot burn and not talking about where you are. That's a very modern way of looking at things right now. Uh, I think it's yeah. debatable whether or not it works. I think it's been proven to work in some instances, not in others. But the whole idea of if more people know, they will care. Uh, the the question is, the guy who's got you know family, you know, he's been generations of trotlining on a river, he's probably going to care more than the dude that that rolls out of Nashville, you know, once a, a season or twice a season, hooks up with the raft company. Gets yeah. sprayed with white water and goes home. That's just the reality of it. But you're not wrong. I don't think there's a there's. It's been proven wrong or right yet. But what you're absolutely right.
1: Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, and, that, and that's just like kind of like one thought about it. <laughs> you know. It, although as soon as I said it, I, I couldn't help but think about the salmon river and think about all the good that everybody <laughs> you know getting turned on to that has done for the fishery. I but is, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying yes, you're right. But but on the counterpoint though. I think that Silvers is totally messing up the long game here. Yeah. You know, I don't think that this kind of attention is going to do any good for him uh, in, in, in his fishery. And I would posit that I don't think it's going to do good for, like, traditional forms of fishing like this in the future. Maybe not like this specific instance, but if, you know, if 10 dudes did the same thing that Silvers was doing... I guarantee you that whatever commission is overseeing that, they might be revisiting the rules and regulations regarding trot lines in the future and in such a way that Silvers might not like the outcome. Well, dude, you are dude. You are just like solid on point
2: today because you're absolutely right, too. You, you're going to blow up this case, right? It's in the news. We're talking about it here on Bent. Yeah. You have to assume that every year there's probably a lot more guys recreating with with rafts and kayaks for fun on, on these rivers and other rivers, and, and the, the, the sort of old-school trotlining tradition is going away. Mm-hmm. Man, you create too many issues here. There's a strong chance that the kayak crowd is going to win if it gets to that.
1: You know what I mean?
2: And, and you are absolutely
1: right. I mean, I'll tell you what, man. You know, you see 1,000 float tubes for every drift boat that you see on the Madison. You know, yep. I, I, used to live on the East coast, man. I've seen the, the, you know, the Delaware river tubing tours, man. Yep. We're outnumbered, dude. And ultimately if it comes down to signatures on a petition, I am not got to tell you how those numbers stack up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So dude, I mean, again, it, it's, it's kind of a lose, lose. I see both sides of this. Um, but, but let us know right in. I'm, I'm very curious to hear, um, your thoughts out there, meaning you listeners.
0: to the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list Speaking of our
1: listeners, uh, Joe, I think this next story or how I'm going to lead into it is going to hit home for a lot of them if they grew up anything like me. So to kick this off, I got a question for you. Okay. That was a weak transition, but go ahead and ask your question. You know, (laughs) you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Ask the question. Come on. All right. all right, All right. So what do you think the reason is? that every old man tackle box is full of just the same shit. It's like <laughs> it's like everybody's <laughs> grandfather like went surf fishing twice, hit a couple <laughs> trout openers, did some <laughs> bass fishing, bought one of those old blue stringers, some snelled hooks, and then just took that weird amalgam of gear and left it in one of just one of those old school blue and tan tackle boxes to like rust into oblivion. Yes, it's never logical. It's always <laughs> like power bait, pyramid sinkers, and the guts of some old spin reel. You know what I mean?
2: I dude, like as you're saying this, the the nostalgia, I'm flooded with nostalgia because this was every tackle box my grandfather ever had, and my dad. It's like they you know, with like the compartmental shelf, yep. you know, the plano. And there'd be like two salmon trolling plugs. Then I'm like, why did, why did you ever need those? And yeah. then the snelled hooks and then like a rubber frog that was mostly rotted out. I know exactly what you're saying. And that is incredibly accurate. I don't now why it was like that. I don't know because they just fished occasionally maybe. And like, didn't feel they needed 4 billion things like I do. They They were probably smarter for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I feel like every time I came across one of those as a kid, I thought the same thing, which is, how old is this gear? Because it it feels ancient.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and and it does. Although, there's a lot of things in those boxes we've covered here, like the jitterbug, as an example. Mm-hmm. That's a staple of the grandpa box. Still a great lore. We also, a long time ago, talked about the the smell, the pungent aroma that would come out of a tackle box if it sat yep. too long in the sun and had wet stuff in it. So yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. And it's funny because you still see those old Plano tackle boxes for sale, at garage sales and shit, mm-hmm. like on Facebook. I don't know anybody who uses one anymore. I don't know a nope. single person that uses a hard tackle box anymore. It's still functional, you know? Yep,
1: yeah, yep. Yeah. All that uh, the gear lube and power bait. Anyhow, uh, no matter how old your granddaddy's tackle collection is, it pales in comparison to what may well be the most ancient modern fishing tackle to ever have been mm. discovered. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen like the story, right?
2: I I I yep, I know I know where you're going. I dig it.
1: So recently a group of researchers working at a site called the and I'm sure I'm gonna mess this up, the Jordan River Derja? 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 Slippy? slappy, Let, Samsonite. L- <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go with the JRD. Uh, the, JRD, re- man, the, J- a, yeah, the J.R.D., man. that's Yeah, the J.R.D. Yep. Heard it here okay. first. Uh, a group of researchers... Yeah, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> a group <laughs> of researchers excavating the J.R.D., uh, which is essentially a well-preserved epipaleolithic version of Steve's fish shack, uh, they found <laughs> fishing tackle that, after carbon dating, proved to be of the Natufian era or about 13,000 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. this is super interesting for a bunch of reasons. The first of which is how well preserved it was like, we know that folks have been catching fish and fishing for much longer than 13,000 years, basically forever. Right. Um, but beyond, uh, speculation, it's tough to know exactly how these ancient fishermen were, were going about their craft. Right. Uh, because we know weaving has been prevalent in ancient cultures forever, it's assumed that they use nets and some version of hook and line, but being all of it was made of things like wood and plant fiber, you know, that stuff doesn't last 10,000 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it disintegrates for sure. Right. But because of some conditions unique to this uh, JRD site, Uh, specifically it being waterlogged all the time. Some of these early fishing implements were really well-preserved, offering us a look into the ancient world of fishing that we don't often get. The other interesting facet of this story is how sophisticated a lot of this gear is. Uh, Specifically of note, archaeologists found fish hooks with points and barbs. Uh, This was Before, like, you know, the the barbless movement, you know, tactical (laughs) nymphs, (laughs) Uh, as well as groove pebbles, which researchers believe were used as an ancient form of split shot.
2: I bet Uh, they broke a lot more teeth. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like... I bet because you know dental hygiene. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I am go, no, go on. I,
1: I'm genuinely worried <laughs> about uh, you know potential lead poisoning from the amount of split shot I've crimped with my teeth.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I chew on it sometimes, just like you know for fun, just out of habit. Stick a stick a little BB in there, and you know, it's like dipping. <laughs> you ought not to
1: do that. <laughs> I should. Uh, <laughs> so even more interesting, uh, the hooks were of various sizes. And some of them had grooves, animal fur, and plant fibers, you know, still kind of attached or, you know, just in there, um, suggesting that these ancient folks were making lures. Uh, They even found evidence of of mother-of-pearl flashers.
2: We're so stuck in, like, this modern era of what we have now. And and I know this article sort of... Uh, it tees it up like that. This was like the first evidence of of fly fishing, and I think you're gonna you're gonna get into that a little bit here. But it's it's still pretty fascinating to me because it's so easy to lean on cut bait and live bait. They probably had a lot more of that, so it almost makes you wonder. Like, did they figure out in certain instances that these these lures were actually more efficient, right? Because they weren't recreationally fishing. These people all mm. fish for food, so it's kind of like man was that a better option for some reason? You know, the people back then, they, they did things because they benefited them, you know? So I, I, I found that part very fascinating.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, when you can't go down to, you know, Sportsman's warehouse and buy a bunch of shiners, uh, you yeah. know, I, I think that like having reusable lures, uh, probably cuts down on a lot of time. Uh, Maybe they were epipaleolithic dry fly purists. I mean, granted, it's only 19 hooks and six pebbles. So it's not like they stumbled on like an ancient bass pro. But but looking through the pictures, a lot of the stuff they were doing really is super remarkable. Uh, For instance, a lot of these hooks were what I I guess you would consider at the time being of a light gauge, right? It's not like they were Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. 16 dry fly hooks, but you get what I'm saying. Um, yep. carving eyes in hooks of this size would have made for like a weak point. So the the researchers speculated that in order to get around that, they instead carved like grooves and and, and, and knobs at the end of these hook shanks and mm-hmm. basically schnelled their hooks. Schnelled? Did you just pronounce that schnelled? Is, is that not how it
2: is? It's just snelled. I like Schnell though. It's kind of like Ramstein or Rammstein.
1: Yeah, whatever. That's how I say it. Schnell. They schnell the hooks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh archaeologists also noted that there was evidence of braided fishing line cured with adhesive, which is yeah, just kind of cool.
2: Yeah, uh, interesting point too about the uh the hook eyes. Um, If you, if you look at a lot of things like sabiki rigs now, like even some of the the rigs and things they have over in Japan, if you know Mm -hmm. how to schnell a hook properly, you actually don't ever need the line to go through the eye. You know what I mean? Like that's a very strong connection. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that totally makes sense.
1: Yeah. Anyhow, at the end of the paper, uh, the researchers kind of suggest that fishing tackle hasn't changed much at all saying that except for the use of metal and plastic, Modern fishing has not invented anything new since the Natufian era, which seems a little <laughs> <don't know>. reductive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like Berkeley Gulp alone, you know or, what I'm saying? Or, you know, yeah. uh, motorized boats, trolling, you know. That, uh, too.
2: We could probably go on there if we wanted we, to do a running we, list. We, you we know. could,
1: we could. Uh, on one hand, uh, until they dig up an ancient plug with some antler treble hooks, I'm going to chalk that up to hyperbole. Uh, On the other hand, you have to give them credit for arguably inventing the braided line predecessor to PowerPro.
2: You're right. Um, But another funny point about that, too, that I think a lot of people forget. If you go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, even like through the 1950s, if you needed really strong shit like like Hemingway out there fighting Mm -hmm. Marlin and Giant Tuna and stuff, you used Dacron, right? I mean, that's just what they used. And then that kind of gave way to your your monofilaments. And then we sort of came back to braid, which is yeah. better than Dacron. But Dacron is still stronger than mono. All we use Dacron for now is to back your fly reel. Not many people put that on a reel anymore.
1: I cut my um, finger on that shit all the time. Do you? I hate putting it on backing for that reason. Well, you got to be more careful. But um, they figured out all those uh,
2: thousands of years ago um that that braided line worked well and like it's sort of like we we knew that and then we decided oh this is better mono and then it's like actually no it's not and we're back to that so they were right all <laughs> along is what i'm saying
1: it's interesting how things go like that uh yeah i'm honestly surprised i didn't find any of those uncle josh's pork frogs or like oh, half they a jar last <laughs> forever, they last forever or some shit
2: yeah, I got some jars of Mike's uh, eggs from my childhood that, like, it's like a crystal in there, like you'd see it in a gem shop.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so any, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, uh, m- not exactly as controversial and as juicy as your story, but, you know, I figured Ancient fishing Tack would play well with our audience and hopefully Phil, so we will see.
2: I think it. I think it plays perfectly, and I'm a vintage tackle freak. Everybody knows that. Um, you know, I, I seriously contemplated grabbing this story myself, um, and it's very, it's very fitting. I'll tell you why. Because we'll, we'll go to Phil, um, see what what floated his boat uh, this week. I'm wishing you luck there, Bud. But, uh, but I, I might have you. I don't know. I don't want to call my shot. But right. uh, as soon as we're done hearing from Phil, we're actually going to do a sail bin with our guest co-host this week, uh, Zach Miller who is uh, a vintage tackle freak like me and a flea market junkie like me. And I promise you, this is going to be a good one.
4: Hayden, I'm offended that you would suggest that I would betray the purity of this Fish News competition by selecting winners based on what would set me up for the easiest or best joke. Did I tell you that that's what I do? Yes, I did. But I told you that in confidence and frankly, only to make you feel better for losing so many times. Sort of like how Miles would always come in here with news bangers week after week, and I just couldn't keep giving it to him, so, you know, I'd have to throw Joe a bone every once in a while. So here's the deal, Hayden. You're the winner this week. (coughs) But now you've got to spend the rest of your life wondering if I liked your ancient tackle story and I thought you deserved this win, or if I'm just taking pity on you. I'll never tell.
0: Uh, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well,
2: you you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. So with Zach here, we have to do a sale bin because you are as much a connoisseur of junk as I am. Like You were oh, yeah. a huge proponent of this segment when we started it. And I'm always so <laughs> jealous because you frequently send me pictures of the shit you find at flea markets in Florida. And if it's fish or fishing related stuff that you like, there seems to be way more of it where you are.
3: I would agree to a degree about that, at least because I am a, you know, I as much as I prowl flea markets and marketplaces, I do get a lot of big scores and hits down here. I feel like there's more volume up there, but people just don't know what the hell they have down here. So it right. kind of makes it different.
2: Right. And what you also have, too, is just a lot more junk I guess you call them junk stores. Like I'm not, it's not an antique store. It's not all fancy. It's like literally someone just took their garage and bought a storefront in a in a shopping center and threw all their crap in there. And then you also, there's like a pawn shop on every block there too, which we don't have up here. Like there's not a ton of pawn
3: shops. Oh yeah, the pawn shop is one of like, it, it, it's part of the charm of South Florida. You know, you can't go somewhere. It's like, hey, do you need money for, whatever illegal substance you know (laughs) you're going to partake in tonight on the bridge or at the bar (laughs) or whatever and we will give you ten dollars for that outboard engine right now (laughs) (laughs) dude the
2: coolest old school Fenor spinning reel i ever bought was at a pawn shop in florida go figure um i also know see you love to haggle like i feel like you enjoy a good flea market dickering
3: session yeah that and uh you know trying to Uh, argue with carnies at the fair every year when it comes that it's essentially the same thing so it it, I, i don't i don't think it's two different things you know
2: right so well this but this is why we have to do a sale bin so this week's sale bin item was sent in by my bud matt farrell um and it was posted on the private facebook group fisherman's garage sale and up for grabs is a mahi mount which to my eye, yeah, to my eye, right, it does not appear to be a skin mount. It looks like a fiberglass replica, right? Now, both you and I have skin in the skin mount game. For a time, I was all about buying old skin-mounted fish. I was like on this quest, and then I ran out of space to hang them in my garage, and I stopped buying them. Um, But it was all about the right price, right? Of course. And this kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier. People up here tend to think that their mounts are worth stupid money it's either like stupidly priced or the guys like ah, give me 20 bucks right so like you're you're out junking more than me these days what are your thoughts on the current used fish mount market what are you seeing out there
3: Hey, you know, being on the streets out here and really getting a feel for what's going on in the skin mount and fiberglass mount community at the junk stores, it's pretty much a hodgepodge of what you described. People either think it's worth more than, you know, their grandpa's Packard that's been garage kept for 85 years, or it's, you know, you're going to get a $2 jackalope, you know, like nobody, (laughs) nobody really there's like, I don't know if there's like a blue book for taxidermy. Is there something like that yet?
2: I I really wouldn't know. I stopped with the blue books at the Beckett baseball card book Ooh, 1994. Oh, I have some of those too. I know you did. Anyway, let's we're we're getting off here. So yeah, of so the owner of this mahi, which I'd say is like 25 30 pounder, yeah, quality right? fish. It's quality. Yeah, it's good fish. He's asking fifteen hundred dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And here's what the post says: beautiful creation. This is not just a mount. It's the nicest mahi mount you ever did see. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes on no i did not smoke drugs before making the price debatable that that is that is what it is worth to me because it is perfect and it is mine and see that's a problem right there for like that's a problem that's the problem with a lot of things
3: a, a, a little bit i mean at least he kind of tried to get out in front of the drug thing um before you know people started coming down on him in the garage sale here but like if I had to describe this Mahi mount, it's not a skin mount. It doesn't look like a skin mount no. to me. But no. I, if I had one word to describe this mount, I would say bitching. Because the only thing this thing is missing is the flame job. This is a beautiful <laughs> rendition of what a Mahi might look like in your dreams, but not when it gets hit with the gaff in the back of the charter boat.
2: They, they turn gray real quick, don't they? Very uh, quickly. Anyway, yeah. So, all right, so the seller continues. I'm moving and don't have room for it. Rather than sit in my garage, I would like to practice catch and release and allow someone else to enjoy the fish, (laughs) (laughs) which is, yeah, I am not shipping this thing. And you must send me a picture of the fish once a year, period, next
3: sentence, for science. Okay, that's where this makes a (laughs) turn and gets a little, uh, you know, little Summer of Sammy. And yeah. <laughs> like you look at this thing, and you're like, okay, practice catch and release. Like, well, Steve, I got bad news. It's already right. fucking dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, there, there's no more releasing. It's it, whole point, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we already missed this.
2: Even if it's a replica, I get what you're saying. The, yeah. the irony is there. So, I, so here's a few top level thoughts, right? I think he overpaid for this mahi because I guarantee he's just trying to get back exactly what he spent. And guess what, right? You know how the value of your new boat. Or, brand new car drops like by half the second you buy it. <laughs> it's the same with mounts. Like, oh. I got a tarp in here. I got a tarp in here. You've seen it that's that's worth like, or was worth two grand brand new. And if I was looking to dump it right now, I'd be happy with the first like 800 bucks somebody wagged in my face. Right. You know what I
3: mean? The, the, the only thing that I can think about, which it, what's warning this price, because it is, he says it is worth 1500 to him. Right. And, I know there's a lot of inflation these days. And to be fair, it's a very bright Mahi. And, you know, maybe, you know, if everything is jacked up 33%, he's just trying to, you know, give Mm. somebody a quality mount of what it would be priced at today.
2: and here's why he doesn't know what he's doing, right? Because my next thought is, um, I once read, and I believe this, that Mahi Mahi is the number one most mounted fish ever. And why would that be, right? Because they're pretty easy to catch, of and course. they're super colorful and badass looking. So when you know tourists that only ever caught a bluegill would show up in Florida and stick a mahi, it was real easy for the charter captain to talk them into a mount. Because then they got kickbacks on the taxidermy bill. And I think I've seen more mounted mahi while out junking than any other fish. To me, they are, they are a dime a dozen.
3: I've seen a lot of Mahi. There, you're, that's probably a statistic without even checking it that mahi's the most mounted sailfish has to be right there with a missing bill or portion of its sale missing. <laughs> I see a ton of those too. But the only thing I can say is like, if that's what's out on the streets, I feel really sad for all these people that they have not gotten the sales pitch for a canal tuna up to this point. <laughs>
2: right. so, so if I had to guess, right, this guy is fawning all over this Mahi and throwing out insane prices because he also just may not be a real angler, and and like this could have been the mahi he caught during that troll trip. You know what I mean? His resort put together while they were in Atlantis <laughs> in the Bahamas, um, and the wife has always hated it and how much he spent on it, and now he's trying to undo those poor decisions. Too bad that the mounted mahi market is so saturated, bud. Like you're basically trying to convince people your Honda Accord is better than the four thousand other Honda Accords for sale on Facebook right now. That's how I see it.
3: What do you mean? You're saying my Honda Accord's not as good as the other ones? (laughs) Yes. Like, all I know is if there is a Mahi market bubble and it's getting ready to pop, this guy's going to be on the front line of that resurgence. I got three of them, two in the attic and one in the garage. So, man, I'm. I what don't know, are you set, doing? You, you got life. three grand sitting in your attic right now.
2: Easily, easily, easily.
3: Anyway, Damn. Matt,
2: thank you for sending that, brother. That was a really, really fun one and pertinent one for this episode. Remember, if you find some wacky uh, fish or fishing related junk for sale on your online classified platform of choice, Tackle, whatever it may be, fire that link off to bent at the meat So hammer time is slowly drawing to a close here, but it's been a lot of fun. At least I think so. I had a
3: lot of fun. You having fun? Yeah, sure. Sure. It depends who you talk to. Like (laughs) I said, how am I supposed to follow up dudes who got stabbed by Pantera, went to Pantera? Like I can't do this.
2: That was a fan. Miles didn't get stabbed at Pantera. He might've been the guy stabbing that guy. Could have been. I don't know. I doubt it though. Um, Anyway. So before we go, one other thing, right? Since we're on this Florida theme, Um, I, I I know that another thing you were really into is waiting for sea trout, right? That's another one of your, your many jams, piers, sharking, bay boats and waiting sea trout, right?
3: Yeah, man, many hats here, but, uh, waiting sea trout when it's cold, I would like to say if it is one of my jams, I'd. I'd consider it more of a slow jam because you got to really slowly creep those baits on the bottom.
2: Right, right. But speaking of those baits, I also know you're too cool to go buy a bucket of live shrimp to do it. You are anti-live scrimps.
3: Yeah, that's that correct. Part? Yes, sir.
2: <laughs> so just in case you're as anti-live shrimp as Zach here, uh, I've got a lure suggestion for you in this week's End of the Line segment that's not only a classic but keeps up that true Florida theme. Uh, fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. There are very few inshore species in Florida that won't eat a live shrimp, or a fresh dead shrimp, for that matter. A Florida tackle shop that can't maintain a constant supply of shrimp could be in trouble. But in the 80s, well-known Captain Mark Nichols had a thought. Between the demand for shrimp and environmental concerns that were threatening shrimp habitat. What would everyone do if the day came when suddenly nobody could get live shrimp? At the time, there were some shrimp imitators on the market, but nobody spoke particularly highly of them. Some were simply heavy rubber shrimp tails you'd stick on a jig head. And they looked okay, but they swam all wrong. Shrimp have a very specific movement in the water. Their legs undulate, and they tend to just lazily ride the current, sort of floating around at different levels of the water column. Nichols realized that creating a lure that looked like a shrimp was easy, but having it behave naturally in the water to truly trick and trigger all the shrimp eaters from Florida to Texas was not. But he was determined to make it happen. Nichols never intended to sell his shrimp creation, which took years to perfect, but when he realized just how effective it was, DOA lures and the famed DOA shrimp were born in the early 1990s. The DOA shrimp has since become a staple on the coast, from the Outer Banks all the way around to Padre Island, Texas. And the funny thing about it is, it doesn't look like it would catch anything. Compared to other modern soft plastics, the DOA shrimp looks too stiff. It's anatomically correct to a degree, but looks more like a basic CAD drawing of a shrimp than the real thing. They come pre-rigged and weighted, and while the lure may look simple, the engineering is not. Now, there are several variations of the DOA shrimp on the market these days, but it's the OG model that's the most well-known and trusted. It's perfectly, precisely weighted and balanced to fall slowly and always stay horizontal like a live shrimp. While the tail may seem too stiff and the legs too stubby, Nichols designed them to constantly vibrate and flutter, further enhancing the ruse. The lures shine the brightest in tidal current, and whether you fish them under a popping cork or solo, most of the time what you want to do is nothing. Keep contact, take in line, and just let the shrimp hover out there in the zone. As Nichols says in many of his tutorial videos, you've just got to let the shrimp do its thing. You can't work it to death. My introduction to the DOA shrimp came on the first trip I ever took to fish the Florida backcountry when I started my career in the fishing industry. And we were targeting snook and redfish near Fort Myers. And it was so long ago that I hate to admit I don't even remember the guide's name. But we rolled up to a channel between two mangrove islands and he handed me a rod rigged with a float that had a very tattered brown DOA shrimp hanging below it. Just cast up current close to the mangroves let it drift, he told me. So I did. And it didn't drift more than 20 feet before getting smoked by the first snook I ever caught. I ended up catching a pile more that day and came to find out later that while the leader had been changed a whole bunch, the particular shrimp I was using had been in rotation for two full seasons. Not only did Nichols want a lure that caught fish, not fishermen, but he made them affordable and durable which is why I know so many Florida anglers that will not throw any artificial shrimp besides a DOA. And it's not like they don't have options, right? I mean, nowadays, companies like Live Target and Savage Gear make shrimp so realistic that if you mix them in a pile of fresh shrimp at the seafood market, nobody would be able to spot the fake. But I don't know a single seasoned, diehard trout snook and redfish guy in Florida or elsewhere along the Gulf Coast that would take them over a DOA. By the way, northern listeners, while we're not so shrimp reliant up here as the Florida boys are, drift a DOA shrimp along a jetty during the fall striper run, or feed one back along those sod banks where bass and weakfish lurk, and tell me what happens. That is it for this week. If you're currently planning a Florida vacation, remember, if the catch of the day at Mickey's House of Crab is Mercury Missile, order that shit. The maid is only pushing you to have that Mahi mounted so you can buy another pair of Costas with the kickbacks. And if you're looking to score the coveted jailbreak slam this winter, call Captain Zach Hammer Miller of Throwdown Fishing Charters and take a ride on the McKee Craft. Live shrimp not included.
3: (laughs) Wow, what a ringing endorsement. I'm too cheap to even shell out the bait here. But... You know, at the end of the day, I guess this was kind of fun. I enjoyed our time together. Uh, you know, it's been a long time coming, and I appreciate all the shout outs for the three people who obviously have brain injuries who requested me to co-host with Joe <laughs> one day. Like I hope you guys are the same people who are going to spend money with me this winter time doing uh, looking for convicts in the jailhouse, slam jailbreak.
2: Well, you have to pick up the phone and take the call if they call, and 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 let them on the boat if uh, if they do. Oh. Anyway, I appreciate you being here this week, my brother. I hope all the fans out there that called for me to drop the hammer got their fix. Until next week, keep those sale bin items, bar nominations, awkward photos, voice memos, and all that good stuff coming to bent at TheMeatEater.com. And remember to use that beast up hashtag when you post that photo of your first gummy. <laughs>